You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Niagara. It's a pleasure for me to join you guys again here this morning. Uh, as Dave said, my name is Craig Turnbull, and I get to be a part of serving at Harvest Bible Chapel Oakville and an emissary of Harvest Bible Chapel Oakville today to maybe say uh, how much we love you guys and how grateful we are for the Lord's work in this place in particular. And maybe also to be here today to just warmly invite you to come maybe join us this Wednesday. Uh, I know you have to slum it a bit. We don't look as nice as you guys do. Uh, but uh, it's, it, like the beauty of the area of Niagara is what I mean. I didn't mean it as a shot against our people. But, uh, <laughs> but please do. We'd love to have you again uh, this Wednesday for All Churches Night of Prayer. Hey, if you've got a copy of God's Word, my job is to, is to walk us through this today by God's grace. Would you turn with me in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5? 2 Kings chapter 5. And by the way, if you need a copy of God's Word, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. We have our ushers that will gladly put a, a Bible into your hand today. I like how I said our ushers. You guys make me feel so at home. It's my church too. All right. What I want to do is I want to walk you back in time uh, 3,000 years today. 3,000 years into the divided kingdom of Israel. So if you're looking at Israelite history, David, the great king, the unifier, has come and he has gone, he has died, and his son Solomon, the wisest man of all, reigned in his place and then bequeathed the kingdom upon his death to a very foolish son named Rehoboam. And at that point, if you remember, the kingdom splits in half. North, in the, in the north, the ten tribes, and in the south, the two tribes. This is where we are right now. We're in that span. And in that span, in the north, there was uh, countless kings and lots and lots and lots of kings. And those kings, none of them in the north, absolutely zero of them, loved the Lord and followed him after their whole heart. And so as a result, God was laying a heavy burden of oppression upon the northern tribes, and raiders would come from the north and begin to punch holes into the border and making it look like Swiss cheese. And one of those nations was Syria. Syria, not to be confused with the Assyrians who would come later and take over the north, the Syrians would make raids from the north and they would capture and they would plunder and they would take possession of things. So what I want to do this morning is I want to introduce you to one of the heroes of the Syrian army. They've had some great success. They're, they're winning amazing battles. And one of the heroes is a general in this army, and his name is Naaman. Let me introduce you to him now. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, God's word says this. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. But he was a leper. I want you to meet the general. That's Naaman. He's our main character. Look at what we're told about Naaman. He's the commander of the Syrian forces. He's a great man. His master views him and loves him. He's highly favored. He's a mighty man. He's filled with valor, but, and this is a big but, He's a leper. 
He's done so much. He's so powerful, but he's a leper. He's a mighty man. He's got men who follow after him into battle, but he's a leper. He's respected by those around him, but he's a leper. He's brave, but he's a leper. This is a man that needs the grace of God in his life. He, this leprosy casts him out into society. He's perfect. His life is perfect, except for the fact that he's a leper. He needs the grace of God in his life. For all of his power, for all of his prestige, for all of his accomplishments, for all of his influence, he can't fix the leprosy. He needs the grace of God in his life. Naaman is a proud man, but he's about to be humbled. In many ways, today's message is, is about pride and humility, but, it, but it's actually so much more than this. Today in God's Word, what we're going to study is, 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 and learn about is how it is that we unleash the grace of God in our lives. We need the grace of God in all of our lives. As, as a way of a summary, uh, in, in the New Testament, James chapter 4, verse 6 reads this and really lays out the principle for us for this entire, uh, th- this entire discussion in God's Word. The, the James 4, 6, you see it on the screen behind me, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a message we're going to come back to again and again in God's word today. Now, I think visually, so I was thinking about this overly complex verse in James chapter 4, verse 6, and thinking about how could I diagram this in a very complicated way that would be very easy for all of us to understand. And this is kind of what I came up with. This little diagram right here really, I think, summarizes everything about James 4, 6. God opposes the proud to humble them, and then gives grace to the humble. I want to ask a question as we begin today. Are you living on the left side or the right side of the diagram? Are you living a life that's opposed because of pride? Or are you living a life that's finding the grace of God because of humility? See, I think the reality is is that many of us today, myself included, find ourselves opposed in many areas of our lives. There's a long history of man setting himself up in pride against God. The question is, how many things does God want to do in my life, but he can't because there's so much pride in my life? And so God has to work on the pride in my life. You've got to understand this. There's a lot at stake here. If we don't get this, there's a lot at stake here. Don't we need the grace of God in our lives? How many of us need the grace of God in our lives and our marriages with with that man or that woman that we live with? How many of us need the grace of God in our lives to break through and do something remarkable with the children that we long for and love and pray for? How many of us need the grace of God to work in their parents' lives? How many of us need the grace of God to work in us as we go to work each day, as we go to school each day, as we interact with those people each day? How many of us need the grace of God in our lives as we deal with our finances? How many of us need the grace of God in so many areas of our lives today? But listen, this is the honest question. Could it be that the grace of God is being stopped in our lives? It's not flooding to us in our lives because there's not humility in our lives. Could it be that what God is doing in our lives right now is actually opposing the areas of our lives because he sees pride in them? Could it be today that we have not the grace we need because God is actively 
opposing the pride. Now, that's a strange message to bring as a guest speaker. Talk about pride and humility. But understand this. This is the message that God's laid on my heart today for me, and I pray for you as well. you got to understand this as well. This message is not about pride and humility. This message is about finding the grace of God in our lives. God wants to give grace to you, even today, in your homes, in your family, with your children, with your wife, with your husband. God wants to give grace today. And so if you could summarize what I'm going to say in the next little bit from God's word, uh, if I could give you the main point, it's this. I will humble myself so I can find grace. I will humble myself so I can find grace. Or how about this one? I will choose humility so I can find grace. Or how about this one? God, please humble me so that I can find grace. That's the big idea for the message. But let's leave James 4 six behind. And let's see how this plays out in real life with the general in 2 Kings chapter 5. What I want to do is walk through Naaman's story. And I'm going to ask two questions. These will be like the main points if you're a note taker. These are the main points of the message. But then we're going to walk through some characteristics behind that. Those will be like the sub points, but those won't come up behind the screen. So that's maybe irritating as a guest speaker. I didn't give these sub points, but you'll follow me. It'll be okay. It'll be okay, right? Lots of grace in the room. Maybe not yet, but it's coming. Okay. Here's the first point I want to get you. This is the first big point of the message today. It's this. Am I a proud person? It's a question I want to ask. Am I a proud person? And if so, I can guarantee you this. Then God will oppose me. Am I a proud person? God will oppose me. Now, we're going to walk in just a second and look at the Syrian general and his life. And I want to highlight four characteristics of a prideful heart. These are four indicators. Have you ever heard that expression? Like if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and smells like a duck and tastes like a duck or something like that, it's probably, maybe not taste, but you get the idea? Okay, so if it looks like pride and it smells like pride and it tastes like pride, then it's probably pride is what God's word is going to say for us. So we're going to hold up our lives. We're going to examine God's word. We're going to ask ourselves honest questions together and ask ask ourselves, am I a proud person? And compare ourselves to Naaman's life. If I see these characteristics in my life, then chances are it's probably pride. All right, we'll walk through these. Let me give you the first indicator of what pride looks like. Pride anchors on so solid. This is like 1A if you want it. It Anchors on so solidly to my position, my position that says I'm better than you. Let's let's go into God's word now, verses 1 and 2, and check out the huge contrast in verses 1, verses 2, okay? Verse 1, again, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because of him, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Verse 2, now the Syrians on their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. You see the contrast there? On one, verse 1, Naaman, the commander, the big, mighty, strong commander, reports to the king. He's a mighty man. He's a respected man. He's, he's got it all together. And then in verse 2, the little girl, the servant, who reports not to the king but to Naaman's wife. And, 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 and how do you become an Israelite little girl in a foreign country? You put the two together, you understand that what's happened here is this little girl has been stolen probably from her family, probably her parents are dead, probably the man who is responsible is the household that she's working in. This little girl, though, 
know something that this great man general doesn't. That there is a man named Elijah, a prophet, who lives in Samaria, and he can help you. So she passes the word to Naaman's wife, who reports it to him. Verse 3. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now, Naaman is a big, important guy. And as a big, important guy, he's going to go to the most important guy in the kingdom because he's a great man. And so he's going to go to the king. Makes sense. We have no record of him ever speaking to the servant girl. We have no record of him ever speaking to his wife. And why would we? This is an alpha male, top dog, first order, top of the food chain predator, general of a victorious army. He's a leader of men. He's a man's man. He's capable. He's competent. Why would we have a record with his discussion with his wife or with this little servant girl? We fully expect Naaman, don't we? We fully expect him to go to kings because kings get things done. Important men have audiences with kings, and kings can pull strings. Don't write that down. That's not important. He's a, he's a big guy. You go to a king to get things done. You don't go to a servant girl to talk to her. Servant girls pull hair out of the drain. That's not what a king does. And so Naaman goes to the king. And the king sends a letter. You ever have somebody with an in in the job? You're applying for a job and your friend says, oh, don't worry, I got you. I'll, I'll, make, I'll tell them about you. You ever have that happen before? Oh, maybe you don't want that to happen. No, don't tell me you know me. <laughs> this is what happens here. Don't worry, I got you. I'll write a note. You'll be fine. We'll communicate this. It's going to be fine. And so the king sends a letter through Naaman to guess who? Another king. Remember what the servant girl said, though? A prophet's going to heal him. But he's going to go to a king. Big, strong, generalissimo Naaman is going to go to the king to get what he wants. Yeah. But God opposes the proud. Naaman gets up, though, and he packs up. He gets his tribute ready because big and strong, important people, they exchange gifts for the services. Naaman's big, and he's strong, and he's important. So here's his gift, verse 5 again. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. The modern-day equivalent of this, by the way, commentators are saying, is about, about $2 million dollars. About $2 million he goes with. Verse 6. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant, or to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. I want you to see this. The pride in Naaman is rooted in his position, but it's also rooted secondarily. Pride anchors onto possessions really easily. You got everything you need, Naaman? Got everything you need you're packing up? Yep, all packed up. Got everything I need. And that, by the way, is the second characteristic of pride. Pride that anchors onto my positions and says, I have what I need. I don't need anything you have to offer. I'm a self-sufficient person. And even if I don't have what I need, I will soon get what I need. I don't need you for anything. You can't give me anything. I don't want it. I'm the guy, remember, who can stand in front of kings and get what he wants. He's certain. 
he's going to get the help that he needs because he's brought a ton of cash and a ton of money. This is well-fought-over, well-earned money that he has brought back in spoil. He's got this. And we can imagine, can't we? It's not difficult to, to picture uh, thinking through walking in with a ton of money and getting what you want. I don't know if you know this, but Canada produced uh, two, uh, several, uh, five of them actually, five $1 million coins. Have you ever seen this before? They're, they look like this. It's they're deceivingly small on the screen there. They're actually about this big and they're about that thick. I saw one in the ROM uh, in Toronto uh, behind lots and lots of glass. They, take, they would take a, uh, four or five guys to pick them up. It's not hard to imagine, is it? Walking into a store with two of those bad boys and getting what you need. Imagine going into the gap and saying, can I get some service here? You know, you think you're going to get some service. They're going to be running to you, right? This is what he fully expects. He fully expects to get what he wants with this kind of loot. But that is not what he gets. That's not the response he gets. Look at verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only only consider and, and, and see how he is trying to quarrel with me. Here's the response Naaman gets, not, oh, we'll do whatever you want, Naaman. No, a very different response. He gets the, are you kidding me? Response. What do I look like, Dr. Quinn's medicine woman? What am I, God, that I can heal this guy? Do you know what's happening here? This is a setup by Syria. They're bringing this guy that nobody could heal. He's got leprosy. Who could heal leprosy? They're bringing him here so that all of a sudden then when I can't heal him of leprosy, then boom, they declare war. This is entrapment. And so in great despair, he rips his clothes. It's a sign of huge grief. We're doomed, says the king of Israel. Now, I've always found this part to be kind of comical. So far in our story, if you're keeping track, this is who we've met. We've met a big, strong general. He's got leprosy, but big, strong general. We've met a servant girl. We met one king, and now we've met a king who's now half naked. And still, no cure. But has anyone listened to the little servant girl yet? She didn't say that there was a king who could heal him. She said there was a prophet, a prophet. And she even told him where he was, in Samaria. So why is this guy standing there with all of his money and all of his loot in front of the king when it was a prophet who was supposed to heal him? Hey, 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 Naaman, hey, Naaman, with all of that prestige and all of that power and all of those accolades and all of those general badges that you have on you, how's that healing going? Hey, Naaman, with all of that money and all of that, those clothes and all of that loot and all of your powerful troops, how's that healing going, Naaman? God opposes the proud. He doesn't work like that. And so he humbles this general with his servant girl and a half-naked king. Now, thankfully, there is a prophet in Israel. And Elisha sends word to the king And he says, let's stop this crazy train right now. Look what he says in verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. You come to me, says Elisha. Come to me. Pop by the house. 
We'll see what we can do. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots. Is he learning? Not learning. And he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. He sent the messenger out to him. Now remember, he has leprosy, right? So he can't walk into the holy man's house. He sent the messenger to him saying, watch this, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. That's it. That's all you got to do. Listen to the word of the Lord through his prophet. Listen to the messenger delivering the message from the Lord. Go and wash seven times in the Jordan and you'll be healed. Hey, Naaman, it's just that simple. Verse 11. But Naaman was angry. And this takes us to the third characteristic of pride in this passage. You maybe call it point 1C if you want. Pride anchors into my position. It also anchors into my possessions. But now thirdly this, pride anchors into my perspective. And it causes me to say things like, I understand the situation way better than you. I get what's going on here better than you do. Verse 11 again, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. What's going on here, says Naaman? This is ridiculous, says Naaman. You, you, you think I came all this, you think he'd even come out of the house. You think he'd maybe poke the window out and wave at me or something. Open the door, say hi, wave his hand a couple times. You think he, does he, does he even know who I am? This guy's got no clue. That's not how it works. He's got to get his act together. He doesn't understand how it's supposed to work. Can he see the horses and chariots? Doesn't he know who I am? Naaman, the proud man, understands better than God. But God opposes the proud. And now the final characteristic of pride, verse 12. Let's go back to the general. Verse 12, these are his words. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Here's the fourth characteristic. Pride anchors into my power as well. Pride says in my power, I can, I can do it on my own. I don't need your help. I got it. Have you ever seen the, the Jordan River? I, like, I haven't seen many Jordan River pictures where there's any tint of blue in them. It's a lot of brown. I was talking to one of your elders between. He said, I saw gray. Every color but clear is the Jordan River. He's looking at a river and saying, this? This thing? I could go to the rivers in my own capital city. I wouldn't even have to get out of my PJs. Why do I have to come down here to this dirty, swampy river? Why do I have to travel a 1,000 miles to climb into this thing? I can do this myself. I think it's interesting that verse 12 is, ends with a question. Could I not wash in them and be clean? Apparently not, Naaman. Because God opposes the proud. So here's what we've seen so far. A servant girl, a partially clothed king, a prophet who doesn't even open the door and say hello, and now a dirty river. These are the things that God's using. And Naaman sits back and says, this makes no sense at all. It makes no sense at all. 
I wonder this morning if, if you got a life that, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Is this the life that you thought in you know, fourth grade when you sat down and they said, write your life. I'll be this, I'll do this, I'll marry this person, we'll live here, we'll have this many kids, we'll never have sickness, we'll have the nicest house on the block. Is this the life that you wrote for yourself years and years ago or are you living a life that doesn't make sense? What's God doing here with Naaman? Well, he's opposing him. He's taking the proud heart and stopping him at every step. God is dismantling his pride before his eyes. Everything that Naaman has ever trusted in, everything that Naaman has ever valued, God is taking it apart slowly on one little trip to Israel. Let me just, by way of summary, here's the, here's the slide with uh, uh, what's going on in Naaman's heart. You see, the pride is anchored in, in my position, my possession, my perspective, and my power. And God has slowly dismantled all of those things in Naaman's life. God has removed every single one of us. So many of us live like this, though, don't we? We trust in, 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 in who we are and what we can accomplish. We trust in what we own. We trust in our understanding of the situation that seems to be clearer than God's perspective of the situation. And then we also trust in our own strength and abilities and competencies to get this done. What God's doing in this story is God's walking along to Naaman and in one day is kicking out every single one of these chairs, saying, no, you can't trust in that. Nope, you can't trust in that. No, you're not going to live with that. Nope, not that. Kicking them all out from underneath him. Leaving him with nothing. You thought you were great, General. You're not. I wonder if God's kicking chairs out in your life these days. God removing things from you that you didn't want. God opposes the proud. Look how verse 12 ends. So he turned and went away in a rage. Now there's where pride, frustrated by God, takes you. Frustrated rage. Maybe that's a fifth indicator of pride in our lives. Rage, fit to be tied fury. Maybe not bubbling out in the surface, but mad. Mad at God for what you can't do. Mad at God for what he's taken from you. Proverbs 19.3 says it, I think, accurately. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. That's what's happening here. See, the general has come with a puffed-out chest, with his entourage, connected to two kings, with his $2 million, and filled with pride, God has stopped him at every step of the way. So we ask the question, why? Why did God kick these chairs out from underneath him? Why is God stopping? Why is God opposing this proud general. And the answer we're going to find as we go through the text still is that God loves this general and he wants to heal him. But the general needs to turn away from his pride in order to find the grace. In the position of pride, all he's getting from God at work in him is the opposition meant to humble him. And then in a place of humility then, he could find the grace that he needs. It's just that simple. So I ask the question as we transition, how about you? Are you a proud person? Am I a proud person? The truth there for us in God's word in multiple places is that God will oppose us. But you know what else? God's opposition to us as a believer in Jesus Christ is a good thing because it does the work it's supposed to do. 
The opposition of God in the areas of pride in our life is meant to pull away, kick the chairs out, remove, strip the pride from us, that we would find ourselves in places of humility that then grace would flow to, the grace that we need so much. God knows what he's doing. He always knows what he's doing. Look at the text, verse 13. Naaman's in a rage. Verse 13, but his servants come near to him and say, my father. Do you see how they love him? My father. It's a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? This is the third time the message of hope comes to Naaman in the text. Once through the servant girl, once through Elisha, and now through his servants. The third time the truth comes to him. One more time it comes to him. One more time it hits the hardened general's heart. One more time it goes to him and reaches out to him. One more time. Because why? Because God's word testifies over and over again that there is no heart that is too hard. There is no person that is too far. No person too far. So one more time, the word of truth goes out to Naaman. Would you have gone? Would you have gone? With a furious general? Well, you would have if you loved him like this. And they did. And they go. But now it's different because now God has done the work. Kicking out all the chairs... There's nothing left for Naaman. He's sitting on the ground. And God says to the servants, now, go, now, 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 one more time, give him the word, now. And they say to him, is it a great word the prophet has spoken to you? Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Verse 14, and now this is the climax of our story. So he went down, and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. <laughs> awesome. Not just healed, like brand new skin, baby skin. I can appreciate that, looking in the mirror now. You ever, have you held a baby recently? You touch their skin, you can barely feel it. Like, it's so soft. Brand new baby skin, Naaman. Incredible. Like, 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 take that Botox, right? Like, you take your face cream and you just throw it away. Look at me. Can you imagine what that looked like? This is a seasoned, battle-hardened, scarred general with leprosy scars, now baby-faced. That's amazing. And I, I looked up some depictions of this in art, and, and my favorite one, just because it's absurd, was Naaman coming out of the water and looking at his arms going, wow, isn't that neat? I don't think it went down like that. I think he came out of the water, maybe he was getting healed slowly over the seven, or maybe he got healed right at the seventh. Uh, but he comes out of the water, and at number seven, he looks at his arms and goes, whoa, look at this. And the servants cheer around him, and there's wooting, and there's whooping it up, and they're loving it. It's amazing. Look at what happened here. This is a miracle. Look at my skin. But, but the greatest part of the story is not the miracle of the skin, because something greater has happened in Naaman's heart. This is a cheesy pastoral line here, okay? Brace yourself. Because Naaman has not just visited the dermatologist He's visited the cardiologist as well. See, this isn't just a story of some guy's skin getting healed. 
The heart has been healed as well. And what I want to do is take a look at the man again, and we'll go through our second point. And this is quicker. Uh, the second question I want to ask, actually the first question, am I a proud person? God will oppose me. The second point in our outline is this, am I a humble person? God will give grace to me. Here's where the hope and the grace of God floods into our story. Let me introduce you to the second, we've met the general. Let me introduce you to the second character in our story. This part is also played by Naaman. This is the servant. Verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, dripping wet, baby-skinned Naaman. And he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So now accept a present from your servant. In fact, if you go through verse 14 through 19 and circle all the your servants, you'll find five of them there. This is a radical change of this man's life. Just as I told you there were markers to pride in Naaman's life, there's also now markers to humility that we can hold ourselves up to as we hold up God's word and we can ask the question, am I a humble person? I want to show you the first one. Uh, whereas Naaman boasted before in his position, look at how humility latches onto his position. Naaman's not saying anymore, I'm a big, strong guy. I talk to kings only. I don't need you, servant girl. I talk to kings. Look at me. I'm a battle. He's not saying that anymore. He's saying, I am a servant of God. I'm a servant of the Lord. When pride says, look at me, humility says, look at him. Look at what he has done. The humbling has occurred in Naaman's life, and he testifies to the changed heart within him through the changed understanding of who he is rightfully before God. I thought I was a general. I now know I'm a servant. You know, when humility is in, in the believer's life, humility mark, is marked by a radical shift in understanding of who we are before God. No longer is it, I'm amazing, I'm great, I'm all, now it's, I am a servant of the Lord. How do you see yourself this morning? Now, it doesn't stop here. There's still, we're still going on here. God has humbled every single part of Naaman. Grace has reached to the lowest place of Naaman's heart, flooded his heart, so he sees himself rightly. I want you to see that. His position's now rightly seen. But now, secondly, his, his, his possessions are also rightly seen. Whereas before, the general was like, oh, I have so much to give. Look at how much loot I've got. Look at how much money. I can make people do what I want just by giving them money. Look at me and how fabulously wealthy I am. Now, that's what the general says. Now the servant says, everything I have belongs to the Lord. Take it. My possessions, everything I have belongs to the Lord. Verse 15 again. Behold, I know that there is now no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he, that's Elisha, said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I, I will receive none. God has told him, receive, accept no payment. And he, Naaman, urged him to take it, but he, Elisha, refused. No, no, no. Here's Mr. Two Million Dollars trying to give away his stuff. Please take it, please take it, please take it. It means so little to me for all that the Lord has done for me. Here's the truth, here's the truth. One of a, a defining marker of a humble follower, believer in Jesus Christ is a, is a radical commitment to generosity. Why is this? 
Because when we see what Christ has done for us in his infinite glory, how he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, walked this earth, became obedient even to the point of death, death upon a cross, that, we, that he would die for us, and then now clothe us in the righteousness of, that belongs to him, and then welcome us in, not as just forgiven people, but as forgiven sons and daughters, welcome back into the community of God to be face-to-face with God for all of eternity. When we see this kind of generosity... That's how we respond as believers in Jesus Christ. When I see how much is done for me, it's a small thing to do this. I think it's one of the reasons why we're generous as believers. I think another reason why we're generous as believers is because the things of the world, the money of this world, the the, the possessions of this world, they don't mean anything to us. Or they mean very little in light of the glory of Jesus Christ. I have been given Christ. What's this mean to me? I'll give it to you. I'm a servant of it now. My Everything I have belongs to Christ. See, humble people in Jesus Christ are generous people. So I ask the question, which maybe is uncomfortable. Are you generous? As you look at your own life and how you handle your finances, is that something that's marked in your life? Is there a humility in the way that you handle the things that God has given to you? Does it belong to you or does it belong to the Lord? For Naaman, it belongs to the Lord. So he's trying to jam this stuff in Elisha's hand. But Elisha won't take it. And then Naaman goes on with this curious verse, verse 17. Then Naaman said, okay, if not, if you're not going to take this, then please let there be given to your servant, there's that word again, two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Okay, so just put yourself in, in Naaman's shoes here for a second. You just got saved. You didn't just get healed, you got saved. You, you, you had your heart transformed in the, in the Jordan River, understanding who this God is. You, you got healed, you, you, you got saved, and, and, and now God has taken the foolish things of the world, the, 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 the things that really aren't anything important, like the servant girl and, and the, the muddy river Jordan, to, to shame the things that are and to, to, to bring to foolishness the things that are wise. God has chosen these things and humbled Naaman and healed him in the dirty waters of the Jordan. And, and, and Naaman doesn't just say, okay, sweet. I'll pay you the money and I'm going to go. That's what he came for, right? Right? He came to get healed. He came to get new skin. So he got his new skin. He got his leprosy cured. And why isn't he just saying, peace out, I'm out of here? Because he's got a changed heart. Instead, what he asks for is dirt. Why dirt? Well, in the ancient Near East, just the window into the culture, like many areas of the world still today, deities were tied to the dirt. There were geographical boundaries where a deity could operate in, and you could move out of that boundary. That's the reason why when we read it with our modern eyes, the book of Jonah sounds so absurd. How could he get in a boat and flee from the presence of the Lord? But that's the way they used to think, is that if I go into this new province, this new province is owned by this deity, and so I have to ask, who's the deity in charge here? And, and it worked that way. Now, what God's, God in his word says in the Old Testament and the New Testament over and over again is God is not the God of just one landmass. He's trying to tell them, people over and over again that I own the whole thing. The whole thing belongs to me. Everything belongs to me. This whole earth. So, so what we're saying here is that Naaman's theology is not perfect. Okay? But his heart is. His heart is right where it needs to be because he's got a fear of the Lord in it. And that fear of the Lord even with his imperfect theology, is going to do him well. And so what he says is, give me the dirt so I can take the dirt home 
and I can worship the one true God in my home with this, with my family, with my people at home. Now, here's the third thing that changes with humility as God moves in our heart. My perspective changes. See, before it was, I can do anything. I know better. I know what's going on. I can solve any problem. Now, it's, I need the Lord. Give me the dirt. You see, getting healed from Naaman isn't enough. He's saying, it's not, it's not enough to get what I want. The skin, I, I need the Lord now. I'll need the Lord next week. I need the Lord in my life always. I've just met this God. I want more of him. Can I have more, please? And so in boldness, he tries to pay for the healing. Elisha says no, and then he says, okay, can I get more, please? See, Naaman understands that our God is a generous God. More, more, more. So I ask another question of you. Another marker of humility in our lives is, the, is, is knowing that we need God more in our lives. Do you need the Lord this morning? Or do you need something else or someone else? The general said he knew better, but the servant says, I need the Lord. And, and now verse 18, give me the dirt, he says. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon, that's a false god, to worship there, leaning on my arm, and, and, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the false god, and when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon again, the false god, the Lord, please pardon your servant in this matter. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm going to go home. I got, a, I got a job to do. I'm not excused from these roles. I, I need to help the king into the house of worship, but please tell me that the Lord will forgive me in this. Here's another change that's happened. It's the understanding that Humility has affected his power, and he's saying, I'm lost now. I'm lost without the Lord's help in my life. If the Lord is this powerful, and if he can heal me like that, even in the muddy rivers of the Jordan, if he can do this, then surely, surely he will see my whole life, and he will not be pleased with what I need to do. But please tell me, Elisha, that, that the Lord will forgive me. Please tell me that, the, that, that my sins can be forgiven. You see, the general before said, I can solve any problem that's brought before me. But the servant says, no, I need the Lord. I need his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy in my life. I'm lost without the Lord's help. I can't do it unless he forgives me. And verse 19, again, we can forgive Naaman's theology here. We see his heart. Verse 19, this is where we'll end our story today. Elisha says to the sermon, Naaman, go in peace. It's okay. You can do it. Maybe that's the fifth characteristic where pride leads me, or where pride leads me to rage, humility leads me, humility in the Lord leads me to peace. So let me pull these up again here. This is kind of the contrast between the servant and the general. Before, I am very important. I have so much to offer. I know better. I can solve this myself. I can do it. And now, I'm a servant of the Lord. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. I need the Lord. I'm lost without the Lord's help in my life. Let's leave these up for a second. Maybe you, you're brave enough to do the test with me. If you're like me in, in, in any way, then there are areas in your life where you're failing. Sure, there's humility in some ways, but in a lot more, there's pride that I'm so sick of and disgusted by. Lord, please help us. Maybe even today, the Lord is kicking out chairs from your life, or you found it to be a week where God's kicking out chairs. Understand this, God's not opposing you to crush you. God's opposing you to bring you to a place of humility so the grace can flow down. 
and help the humble. Again, there's so much at stake in our lives. We need the grace of God in our families. We need the grace of God in our marriages. We need the grace of God in our workplaces. We need the grace of God in our schools as we navigate the difficulties of day in and day out. We need the grace of God as we, as we handle the difficulties in our finances. We need the grace of God as we handle the difficulties in our health. We need the grace of God. So the question again is, what side of the diagram are you on? Are you in a place where God is actively opposing you? Or has God done the work and you've received the acts of, of humbling so that grace may flow to the place of need that you're in right now today? There's pride, though. We're still generals, all of us. Thinking I can do it alone, thinking I'm so great, thinking I have what it takes, thinking I know how I can do it. But God opposes the proud. See, God's word is designed like a scalpel to open up and remove and expose disease. I hope it's done that. But the next step for us this morning is not a fix my own self. It's to lean into the truth of the gospel that only by the power of Christ can I be made whole. Only Jesus Christ has what it takes to make me clean. That by his spirit now, he would be working in our hearts and driving humility into our lives and understanding ourselves for who we really are, that the grace of God may flow to us. See, the hero of the story of Naaman is the Lord who humbled him, healed him, and gave him a new life and turned a general into a servant. We need that hero today in our own lives, in our own stories, whether it's for that family struggle whether it's for that sin struggle, whether it's for that relationship struggle, we need God's grace in our lives. Let me pray for us. Again, God, I pray against any attitudes of, okay, that is true, and now I need to fix myself. That's where the lies come in, thinking we can solve our own problems thinking that once you have exposed who we are through your word, then you're calling us now to walk apart from you and fix it. That's anything but the case. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Without faith, it is impossible to please you. Please, God, we are praying now for hard work to be done in all of our lives. There's, there's, not, there's not a single one of us here in this room that doesn't need you and your grace for something in their lives. Maybe it's the health concern right now that the heart is shaking under. Uh, maybe it's the crisis in the marriage right now that's shaking. Problem with kids that are causing us to give up hope. There's not a single one of us here in this room that does not need the grace of God in some way in our lives. So as we call out to you for that, Lord, that help, which you say that we now need to ask for. And I love, God, that your word says that humility doesn't mean that we can't be bold. In fact, your word says that we are to approach boldly the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And so, Lord, we're running for grace now. We need mercy right now. Please change our hearts. Convince us of the truths of your word that we might find the grace to help us in times of need. But only you can do this, Lord. We can't fix ourselves. Only you have the soap that can make us clean. So we call out to you now, Lord, we ask for grace and mercy to help in time of need. Please, Lord, turn a room full of generals into servants for you. Pray now, Lord, that you would use this last song in our worship time together 
that it would be a prayer to you from your people as we lean and we trust upon you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Please help us now, God. Be worshiped even in this last song we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church, as we close our time together.
your spirit strong in me my flesh may fail my god you never Amen. Well, uh, Harvest Niagara, thank you again for your kind hospitality and attention to me. It was wonderful to be here as a guest today. I'll say this as well. If God's been stirring in your heart and you'd love to be prayed for after our service, we have our leaders up front afterwards and would love to do that, okay? All right. God bless. You are loved. Oh, Lord.